Hey, good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Wave at me if you can hear me. Yeah, lots of you. Wonderful. <laughs> good morning, everyone. A happy new year from me. As Tim said, my name's Tom, and uh, I lead the team here at Hope. And uh, this morning, as has already been mentioned, I want to share something with you of uh, our vision as a church. The beginning of the year is as good a time as any to do that. But really, this isn't a vision for 2023 per se, but actually for what we're believing God has for us in the years to come. So it's not just, okay, here's the next 12 months, but actually what something of the direction that God's uh, leading us into, we sense. And so I want to uh, touch upon that this morning. But I want to, as I was praying about this morning, I, I felt God lead me to the story of Abraham and Isaac, which uh, we find in the, in the book of Genesis in chapter 22. Uh, so if you have a Bible, you might like to, to turn there now. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so it's very easy to find. And uh, really, the, the vision of the church that... Uh, the, that we have and we hold dear and we're excited about is, is rooted in some of the things that we're going to be unpacking today, but it's also honed by prophetic words, words that we believe God has spoken uh, to people, through people, to us as a church over the years. That might seem strange to some of you, maybe you're not from a church background where that's familiar, but we absolutely believe that God speaks to people and to churches and to situations today. He doesn't ever speak in contradiction to the Word of God, the Bible. He never does. But he does speak to people and give us kind of now words that will help us to kind of uh, align ourselves to be in, in step with what he has for us. And so really the, the vision of the church is absolutely rooted in the Bible, but it's honed and shaped and directed by prophetic words. And over the years, we've received prophetic words as a church that we give weight to, that we, um, that we really believe are from God, and that there's been kind of consistent themes that have come through for us that we give weight to and we pray into. We're going to unpack a little bit of that today. But today, as I said, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22, and what we're going to read is, a, is an outrageous story. It's a story that if you're not familiar with the Bible, maybe you're here today for the first time, maybe invited by a friend or a colleague or just checking out church, beginning of the year. Um, it may be a story you're not familiar with. It is an outrageous story and you might actually be left outraged at the end of it when you hear the story. But it needs to be heard in some context, okay? We need to understand not just the snapshot of what we're about to read, but the, the bigger picture context of what's been going on. It's about this guy called Abraham. And we first meet Abraham at the end of Genesis chapter 11 and more into Genesis chapter 12. And we don't know much about him at the beginning other than he's a pagan guy. He doesn't know God. Uh, he's quite wealthy and he's married to a lady called Sarah. That's all we seem to know about him at this point. And then in chapter 12, God speaks to him. We don't know what that looked like, but God speaks to him and says to Abraham, go from your father's household, go from your uh, your people, your nation. Go to the land that I will show you. And God promises in him, I will bless you and I will make you into a great nation. This is what he says. I will make you into a great nation. Now at this point, Abraham was already quite old, as was his wife, Sarah. We've got two people, they've got no kids at this time, and God's promising Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. 
Now, in the book of Romans, it uh, describes how old Abraham and Sarah were at this point, and it describes them as being as good as dead. Okay? That's the description. So if you feel like you're quite old and you've got a sense of humor, the next time someone asks you, uh, you know, how old will you be at your next birthday, you can say, biblically speaking, as good as dead. That's what you can say. This is how old Abraham and Sarah were. So it's, it's, it's already quite a miraculous story that uh, as it unfolds, they are given a son. Sarah becomes pregnant and they have a son called Isaac. It's already clear that Abraham and Sarah have a track record with God, a track record of God's provision, a track record of God raising from the dead. Because really, Sarah's womb was dead. There was no way that she could have a child, logically speaking. And so there's already this track record that Abraham and Sarah have when we come into this story. Abraham already understood that God is kind, God is faithful, God is committed to his promises, fulfilling his promises, and that God's more like a surgeon than a psychopath. Surgeons and psychopaths have one thing in common, they wield knives. But Abraham recognizes that God's like a surgeon who can be trusted, that he can, he can trust his life to God rather than a psychopath you've got to run from. This is kind of Abraham's understanding. So there's, there's something that's reasonable about the actions that Abraham's going to take, although it's still shocking. It says that the writer to the Hebrew says, Abraham reasoned that God could raise from the dead. That's, that's the, the kind of understanding Abraham had going into this story, which we're going to read. So we're going to pick up in uh, chapter 22 of Genesis. Now, by this point, Isaac, uh, Abraham and Sarah's son, is pretty grown up, okay? You might sometimes read stories where he's like a tiny boy. It's quite likely that he was either in his teen years or into his 20s by this point, okay? And uh, some Jewish historians would have the tradition as uh, Isaac being in his 30s by this point. So he's, he's grown up, and Abraham's getting old, and this is where we pick up the story. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Just imagine Abraham just seeing, okay, this is the place. It's really happening. I've got to do this. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together, 
And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Should we pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's all breathed out by you, and it's instructive for us. And we pray today that you would instruct us by your word, that you would lift our eyes to you, that we would see you for who you are more and more, and that you would encourage us greatly, we pray. Amen. Amen. I've called uh, today's message, Abraham's Mighty Faith. Abraham's Mighty Faith. And I've got three headings, God's plan, God's promises, and God's people. So if you're taking notes, there's the three headings. Let's look at God's plan, shall we? We're going to look at these things, and we're going to land it as to what is God saying to us in Ipswich in 2023. God's plan. Well, we see in Genesis chapter 12, God has laid out something of his plan to Abraham. We've already heard about it when he first meets Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you into a great nation and all the families on the earth will be blessed. So there, there we see God has a plan for the blessing of knowing him to go across the whole earth. The whole earth to know this blessing. Mankind was made to know God and to have the blessing of knowing him intimately. This is what we were made for, to know God, to worship him, to center our lives on him, to find our joy in him. This is what we were made for. And then we see not long after the creation, a turning away from God, mankind disobeying God, and as a result, a separation occurring between God and mankind. And as a result, all things, uh, sin and brokenness entering the world. But God does not give up on his plan. He said to uh, Adam and Eve, the first humans, uh, not long after he had created them, 
He said, be fruitful and multiply. That was their command, was to go to be multiplied, that they might subdue the earth, that actually all across the world there would be human beings who would know God, have the blessing of knowing him, and in every area of the globe there will be those that just reflect God through knowing him and knowing his blessing. And although that humankind uh, rebelled against him, God did not give up on his plan. He pursued a people. And he came to Abraham and said, I'm going to choose you. Even though Abraham, there was nothing special about him, really, that God might choose. He said, I'm going to choose you. And it's through you that I'm going to outwork this plan. And we see then as the story unfolds and as the scripture unfolds some more, God commits himself to the knowledge of his glory covering the earth as surely as the waters cover the sea. That's what we read in Habakkuk 2 verse 14. That's what God's desire is, that the whole earth, because the water covers the sea, that means everywhere. The whole earth will be full of his glory. And in Isaiah, we see a similar verse where God says, the knowledge of him will cover the earth as surely as the waters cover the sea. God's plan is that it's a global family that he's after. A global people who know him, who know his glory, who celebrate him, who make their lives all about him. He wants to be known and celebrated in every nation. It truly is the best thing for us that we center our lives on him. That he commands us to, to worship him is a loving thing. We might think that's quite egotistical. If we said to someone, you must worship me and adore me, that is an egotistical thing. But for God, it's a loving thing because he knows that everything else we might center our lives on, everything else we might worship, everything else we might uh, kind of make everything about will actually damage us if we make it into an idol. But actually to know him, to worship him, to, know, to have the blessing of knowing him, that's the very best thing for us. And God wants a people across the globe, who know him. Thousands of years later, his plan has not changed. And if you're here today, and as I said, if you're trying church at the beginning of 2023, you need to know that the very best thing for you is not kind of turning over a new leaf. It's not uh, putting into place some new habits. It's knowing him. This is the very best thing for you. This is what you need. You need to know the living God. And he wants for himself a people across the whole earth, from different cultures, different tribes, different languages, different ethnicities. He wants a people for himself who know him. His plan hasn't changed. So that's God's plan in the world. Let's look at God's promises. He's already made some great promises to Abraham before this point, before we even come to this story of Abraham and Isaac, God has already made some big promises to Abraham. But in light of Abraham's trust and obedience in this story, God doubles down on these promises in a big way. You know, God loves trust. He loves obedience that flows from trust. That we would say, Lord, I trust you, even though it might look difficult, even though... Uh, this seems to be a different way to the way everyone else is going. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your ways. I'm going to trust you when it doesn't even make sense. This is God's big love language. You know, He loves trust and obedience that flows from the place of trusting him. And as a result of Abraham's trust in him, God doubles down on his promises. And 
I think he even comes to meet with Abraham in the flesh. Okay, so we see here, it says the angel of the Lord. It's not an angel of the Lord. It says the angel of the Lord. And some theologians over history would see that this is actually a a pre-incarnate Jesus coming to meet with Abraham. Because this person suddenly starts speaking in the first person as if he is God. And this person swears by himself that he will surely do these things. Now, in that culture, that tradition, you swear by someone greater than you, okay? Well, there's no one greater than God. And so he swears by himself, this is going to happen. This is going to come to pass. And so I think as a result of Abraham's radical obedience, God comes down and he doubles down on these amazing promises. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. These are amazing promises. How did this unfold? You might be wondering if you're not familiar with the Bible. How did it unfold? Well, to this day, there are hundreds of millions of descendants of Abraham across the globe. Hundreds of millions What does that look like? How does that even work? Well, God's people did multiply. Abraham's physical descendants did multiply. And as we are going to see next week, as we start a new series in the book of Exodus, which will take us through to Easter, we're going to see that there were many, many physical descendants of Abraham. And they ended up in Egypt because there was a famine in their land. uh, And the people of Israel were enslaved by the Egyptians. And God led them out from slavery. And then he brought them into their own land, the land that he promised to Abraham. And through many ups and downs, God provided for them. So there were already by this point many, many physical descendants of Abraham. But now there are hundreds of millions of descendants of Abraham because of faith in Jesus. We need to turn to Galatians and chapter 3. And verse 29, to kind of unpack this a little bit more, where the Apostle Paul writes this, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. It might say in your translation, if you belong to Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So, This is saying to us that actually the people of God, the descendants of Abraham, it's not an ethnic deal. It's not about those who are physically related to him. Because some some Christians kind of get caught up on this a little bit and they start to think, well, surely we should be really focused on Israel and the land there. Well, it was never about a bit of land. God's plan, way before he gave the people of Israel some land, was that this would go global. That was the idea. That was his heart. That was his plan, that he would have a people from every nation and tribe and tongue, and that the the knowledge of his glory would be spread across the world as surely as the water covers the sea. That was his heart. So it wasn't to be contained to one part of the world. And so God's people, they were in the land in Israel, and at times it went well, at times it was Uh, It was good, and Israel uh, reflected God uh, and his glory, and they were a blessing. But a lot of the time, they weren't. A lot of the time, rather than being a light to the nations, they were like the nations. 
And they were going after idols and doing all kinds of awful things. And God chastised them again and again. He allowed their enemies to overtake them. But throughout, even in the despair of those moments, there were promises. There were promises of a Messiah, an anointed one, one anointed by the Holy Spirit, a king that would rule on David's throne forever, one who would be a suffering servant, who would lay down his life for the sins of the world. There were these promises that kept on coming through. God kept on making great promises to the people of Israel. And then Jesus came. And Jesus never put a foot wrong. And Jesus, as we've heard today, was fully obedient to his Father and laid down his life upon the cross. And Jesus is the one who now... uh, is the, is the seed of Abraham. He's the offspring. He's the great one promised. And it's those who belong to him who are heirs of the promise that God made to Abraham. So the family of God's not defined by ethnicity. It's not defined by uh, whether, you're a, whether you're Jewish in your background or not, because the vast majority of us here are not from a Jewish background. We are what the Bible calls Gentiles. We're not from a Jewish background. The, the family of God is defined by All those who belong to Jesus, that's the family of God. Whether you're from a Jewish background or from a Gentile background, the family of God are those who belong to Jesus. And we're heirs of the promises made to Abraham. Multiplication across the globe was God's heart from the beginning. And now he has a family in many, many, many nations. And his family is growing and growing and growing. And it might seem like in this nation, in some ways, we've obviously seen census results recently which say that now less than 50% of the people in this country identify as Christian. I think it's a lot less than that in reality, actually. But we can rejoice in that to a degree because for decades, maybe centuries, people just said, well, I'm Christian because I'm British. I was christened as a baby, okay? And my parents weren't Christians at the time. They became Christians when I was four, and uh, I asked them when I was old enough, I was like, why did I get christened? I don't know. <laughs> we were just British. That's what you did. We had a knees up. That was just the idea. And there's many, many millions of people in this country who say, well, I'm Christian because I'm British. But actually, it's those who belong to Jesus who are God's family. Those who belong to Jesus who know the blessing of knowing him. And friends, I believe that the church is on the advance in this, in this nation. That people are coming to know Jesus in this church and in many, many other churches. Right across this nation, people coming to know the blessing of knowing God. And so we might be discouraged by some census results, but God is on the move. And right across the world, in the global south and the global east, it's like wildfire. The gospel's spreading like wildfire. Many hundreds of thousands, even in nations where it's illegal to be Christians. In places like Iran, God's on the move where there's great persecution, God is on the move because he wants a global people for himself. It's never been about a bit of land. It's always been about a global thing. All of God's promises find their yes and amen in Jesus. He's the fulfillment of all the promises God has made. So that's God's promises, now God's people. This is where we might seem to apply this to us a little bit more. We are the people of God here in Ipswich, along with many wonderful churches that love the name of Jesus. 
We're the people of God. And we're the people of God who know, have the blessing of knowing him. And we're the people of God who are to be a blessing in our town. This is who we are. This is our identity. We're not a social club. We're not a bunch of people who like a sing-song on a Sunday. We're God's people. And we have a calling upon us. And we have promises over us. And we need to understand the, the great honor and dignity and great calling that that entails. We are God's people. We inherit the promises that Abraham had. Where God says, I will bless you. And all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. This is, this is, we inherit these promises. You don't look very excited about it. I'm excited about it. But this is the truth. We belong to Jesus because he loved us and gave himself up for us. And Paul writes in, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, Jesus gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to win for himself a people zealous for good works. He's, he's won for himself a people. I don't often read the King James Version, but as I was reading it this week, I, I loved it where it says he he's gave himself up for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify unto himself a peculiar people. A peculiar people. This is who we are. Because Jesus gave himself for us. Listen, in this story, Isaac gave himself. He got up on that altar. Abraham's an old man by this point. Isaac could have overpowered him and run away. But he willingly got onto the altar. And Jesus, as the guards came to arrest him, they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus uttered these words, I am he. And the guards just, it was like a, a grenade had been dropped in. They all flew backwards, fell to the ground. In the Greek, the original text of the, most of the New Testament, it's, he would have said the words, ergo emi. I probably got the pronunciation wrong. But I am. I am. He's saying, I am the God of the Old Testament. I am he. That's how God reveals himself to Moses when Moses is running scared from Egypt and God comes to him and says, you're going you're gonna to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses says to him, who, who shall I say has said this? What's your name? And God says, I am. I am. I am who I am. This Jesus saying, I am he. I'm the great mighty one. And then yet a few lines later you see he's led away to be arrested. Hands tied. Ready to go be whipped and tortured and, hung on, and hang on a cross. He, he willingly laid his life down. No one took it from him. He willingly, he could have at any moment overpowered those guards. At any moment he could have called down hosts of armies, huge armies from heaven to destroy all of them. But he laid his life down. But he laid his life down, friends, to purify for himself a people, to, to, to redeem us, to buy us out of slavery to lawlessness, because that was our story, right? We just did whatever we wanted to do. 
It may not have been particularly you know, horrendous in some situations in the world's eyes, but it was to God. And he, wanted, he came to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. A people zealous for him, zealous for good works, zealous for his mission in the world. This is what God is about. And his heart, friends, is that we are blessed to multiply. We are blessed to go with the blessing of God. We're blessed to take this to the whole earth. That's our calling, our mission. His heart is for the nations. Abraham's promise becomes ours. And we therefore need to center our lives, our priorities, our worship around what God is doing in the world. So often we can have competing things, can't we? I want to do this with my life. But God's saying, here's what I'm doing in the world. Jesus reiterated that call and that blessing. He said to his disciples, go into all the earth and make disciples of me, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Surely I will, and baptize them in the name of the, Holy, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and surely I will be with you even until the end of the age. This is his call. His heart is for the nations. His heart is that we go. And I believe that there are some here who know a calling to a different nation. And you have had this in your heart for some time, and it's kind of like, yeah, but there's some other things I want to do. But you know it's really clear. You know God's speaking to you. And I believe that this is a year where you need to start to really intentionally, proactively explore this more. It starts by telling someone, I feel God's calling me to this nation. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I feel he's calling me. It starts to, to look like exploring this some more. We have a called to go conference happening here Friday night and Saturday, this coming week. It's still not too late to book in for that, where you can just begin to explore this. It may be years before you go, but you need to start somewhere. And some of you are from another nation, and it's really, really good that you're here, and we're delighted that you're here. We really are, and you enrich us in so many ways. But for some of you, there's a calling to go back to your nation. It might not be for many, but it will be for some of you, to go back to your nation to take the blessing of God back to your nation, to go and see people one for Jesus, to go and see churches established, wonderful, beautiful families of life in God. This is a calling for some of you, and it's going to mean a laying down some reputation. You kind of hear, and maybe for some, your family back home think you've made it by being here. Or maybe there's a kind of expectation on you to provide by being here. But for some of you, it's, you know God's calling you to go back one day. Again, it starts by telling someone, I feel God's calling me to go back one day. We want to help you. We want to work, work with you and walk, walk with you in exploring this. It might be you go to the Call to Go conference coming this weekend. Let us know more. If you want to talk more, we would love to. But there's a call upon us to, as a church, prophetically, we've known God's repeated clarity in terms of prophetic words, saying that we are not just to be a large presence here in Ipswich, but there's a call upon us to send, to train, to send, to release, to multiply. And we believe that with all our hearts, God is, is pressing in on this all the more uh, in these days. We're believing for a large presence here. We're believing that God's going to multiply us here in Ipswich. We're going to come on to that in just a moment. But we believe there's a sending beyond Ipswich 
as well. We're, we're trusting that God has this for us. Now, we received a prophetic word from a guy called Julian Adams uh, in June 2021, which I want to I just read to you. Uh, it was quite a, a lot of prophetic word. Uh, actually, he shared a lot with me. And then he said this. This is the transcript of it. One more thing. I don't know if there's a body of water that divides two parts of the city in Ipswich, but I feel like even socioeconomically, I see there's a river that divides two areas, and I feel like very rarely do people go across from one side to the other. And I feel like the Lord is saying, I'm going to give you a presence in both parts and I'm going to cause those parts to come together as a sign and wonder. So get ready for that. And uh, this chimed with us when we received it at the time. And then uh, back in September, we had uh, a team away day as elders. And Nick, uh, who along with Tommy recently joined the team of elders here at Hope, he brought uh, a word to us that he felt God had given him where he saw in his mind's eye uh, an airport, and if you've flown before, you'll know airports are busy places with lots of resources centrally, and then sometimes you go on a bus or a train to a different terminal from where you then fly. And he, had, he saw in his mind's eye different kind of terminals coming out, as it were, from the main uh, airport, and really felt like God was saying, there's actually going to be different uh, uh, gatherings or uh, venues that we would meet in over the years to come, that we would reach different parts of the local area. And we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but there's going to be, diff- there's going to be the, the kind of main airport, as it were, where there's lots of resources and activity, but that actually God's going to open up some things for us in different parts of the local area. And we really felt that was a word from God. We, we, we gave weight to that, and we prayed into that together. And we, along with this word that I've just read to you from Uh, Julian Adams, we really feel a rising of faith that God has some work for us in the west of Ipswich, uh, in the areas known as uh, Stoke Park, Maidenhall, and Chantry, where there may be some here, not many I don't think, but some that come uh, and are part of this church that live in those areas of town, but there are some 30,000 people in those areas of town, and we don't have a lot of reach there. And uh, there's some good churches there doing good things, and we bless and honor that, and we want to pray with them and learn from them. But we do believe God has spoken to us that we're to see something established there in the years to come. And so we think, we don't know all the details, we think it might look like us just starting to gather there intentionally in the months to come through praying there, maybe having some prayer meetings there, maybe through having a couple of life groups that gather uh, just at the other side of the river um, in, uh, in the summer months. And it may be, we'll see, we'll see what God does, it may be that we look to have some kind of Sunday gatherings there, maybe as early as spring next year. So that's exciting. That's one thing we wanted to just bring before you today. We believe God's spoken. We believe he's, he's showing us that there's some work for us to do. And, uh, and there may be more venues, locations in the years to come uh, that he will lead us to. But as well as that, as if that wasn't as you know, big and hairy and audacious enough, we do also believe that God uh, is, is showing us that there's multiplication for us here at the Hope Center as well. Now, we've, we've only been here for a year and a half, um, and some Sundays, what today would be one of them, it can feel very busy, particularly uh, before the children and youth have gone out to their groups. 
And sometimes it's like there's not much space. The welcome team are sort of frantically looking around for chairs. And uh, we do believe that in maybe in a year, 18 months to come, there'll be some kind of multiplication here as well in the form of multiple Sunday gatherings. Now, we've done this before as a church. Those of you who've been with us on the journey for uh, some time, you'll know that for five and a half years, we had two morning gatherings, and uh, that was costly. It was sacrificial in a number of ways, but it was because we sensed that God was saying, make more room at the table. We sensed that there was more people that needed to come to know him, to know the, have the blessing of knowing him, and to join our family. And we think that that may come again, although it may not look the same. We don't know the details yet. I'm sure we'll bring clarity uh, in the weeks and months to come. But we would uh, expect that in the next year or so, we will look at having some kind of multiple gatherings here. So there's kind of two fronts on which we expect to multiply in the coming years. Uh, But there may be even more than that as well, because we do expect that there may be people going from this church to plant churches in other towns, cities, nations. God's going to stir people up, we expect. And that seems impossible, doesn't it? it? It seems absolutely impossible, but we serve a God who is the God of the impossible. And the God who, uh, he's, he's, it's, it's important, friends, that we grasp this. He has done the impossible for us where our sin and shame was so great that there was no way back to him. There was no way we could work our way back. No way we could outdo all of our sin and wrongdoing by doing loads of good stuff. There was no way. And he made the way. Whereas for Abraham and Isaac, God provided, he provided this last-minute substitute for Isaac. For Jesus, there was no lamb waiting in the wings. He became the lamb of God. He was the one who laid down his life to bridge that impossible gap, to to take upon himself the punishment that our wrongdoing deserves. And so we, we might look at some things that God is calling us to and think, this is impossible, but we need to, we need to be really grounded in the fact that he's done the impossible for us. And the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, he, he comes to this logic in some of the most glorious verses in the whole of the Bible where he is speaking about the amazing work that God has done for us in Christ. And then he says, what shall we say to these things? In light of the cross, in light of the fact that God's done the impossible, in light of the fact that he's bridged the gap, in light of the fact that he reached into our spiritual death and made us alive in Christ, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is the the logic that we come to, friends. God has already given us the greatest thing that he can give us. And so as we face some things that we think God's calling us to, of multiplication into the west of Ipswich, maybe other localities in the years to come, and multiplication here at the Hope Center, and we think, how is this going to be possible? There's so much to think through, so many practicalities to think through. Our our base needs to be, God's already given us the greatest thing that he could possibly give us. And so everything else is small in comparison to that. Okay? Okay? 
<laughs> we look to Jesus on the cross, the one who did lay his life down, the Lamb of God. And we say, if God would not spare his one and only Son from us, how would he not with him graciously give us all things, all things that we need, all things that all the resources we need? And it's going to require dozens of us, dare I say hundreds of us, to say, I'm in on this, and to give ourselves in some sacrificial ways. And it's going to require God adding to us others, I'm sure, as well. But we, we look to the cross and we see God's done it. He's, he's won the ultimate victory. And so we trust in him. We trust in him, friends. So there's big things on the horizon for us. We must give ourselves to prayer. Like prayer has to be the number one priority for us. We think there's some ways we need to sort of grow in training, but we must pray. Because prayer is the open admission, John Piper says, <laughs> that without God we can do nothing of any value. We need his power. We need him to work through us. Prayer is the open admission that we can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it with our own cunningness or cleverness. We need God to move. And so this term, we've, we've said we're going to go for every life group is going to go through the Prayers of Many course by Mike Betts, who is one of the leaders in our family of churches. And so we're going to have dozens and dozens of life groups going deeper in prayer. And we're going to give you prayer points to pray into. And then we're going to culminate this term with a week of prayer towards the end of March. And I want to call you, if you call this church your home, if Hope Church is your home, can I urge you to resolve, I'm going to be in a life group this term, and I'm going to, I'm going to grow in prayer. You may have been around the block a bit, and you might think, oh, I've done prayer courses in the past. There's more for you to grow in, okay? There's more for you to grow in, and all of us together, we're going to grow in prayer. And I trust that as we grow in prayer together, God's going to do outstanding things. He's going to do things that will cause our jaws to drop to the floor. He must show us that it's through his power and his power alone that he's going to do this. That it's not through any cleverness, any techniques, any resources naturally that we may have. I thought Tommy's word towards the end of last year was outstanding, and you need to listen to it, where he was speaking of Gideon and how God whittled down Gideon's army to show him, I'm going to do this, Gideon. This, this, is, this is my work. I believe God's going to show us some outstanding things, some astonishing things as we give ourselves to prayer in the months to come. So are you up for that? Are you up for praying with us? Are you up for praying with us on the 22nd of January? Are you up for praying with us as we go to life groups this term and say, God, would you move? Because this is impossible. It is impossible without you, Lord. We need you to move. We're going to be stretched in faith. We must pray. We lay hold of God's promises. We say, God, you have said that the, the, the descendants of Abraham will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. When there's a clear night, I want to urge you to look up. Remember the promise. I imagine Abraham saw many a clear night in the places where he lived. Saw the stars and laid hold of God's promise. You have said it, Lord. When you're next walking on Felixstowe Beach on the sandy bits, <laughs> you've said it, Lord. More numerous than the grains of sand on the beach. You're going to have a people for yourself. We lay hold of him in prayer and his promises in prayer. 
And I want one last thing I want to share with you, and then the band are going to lead us in a song. Maybe you guys could come and be ready wherever you are. Come and be ready to lead us in a song. We're going to, we're going to sing and respond together. I was, this week I was on Facebook, and um, a friend of mine who I've not seen in many years uh, shared something on her feed that was about um, this thing that she set up whereby uh, she goes around the beaches near where she lives and digs in the mud for treasures. And uh, I've never seen anything like this before. That She's uncovered many, many things like old pipes and bottles and beautiful pottery, uh, little boxes that used to contain jewellery, all kinds of amazing things that have just been buried in mud for centuries, some of these things. And um, it turns out that she's now got this following from all, all around the world, people interested in her stuff. And other people are posting in different things that they've found as they've dug through the mud. And I, I felt God speak to me as I was uh, just watching this, uh, this, this feed and just seeing all these different things. I felt God say that there would be uh, many here this year where you are going to be like her and dig around in the mud and you're going to find some treasure that's been buried by mud for some time. And the treasure is going to be in the form of people. People that you are going to encourage. I think these are, in many cases, believers, actually. That you're going to find believers who have been kind of stuck in the mud and, and completely covered up in cases, just kind of through past experience that's been difficult, past experience that's been hurtful and painful. And you're going to play a part this year in cleaning them down through praying with them, walking with them, that there's actually going to be a call on many here to go the distance with some people and bring, and bring people forth. There's going to be a ministry of that for some here. I don't know if this is landing or if this is resonating in hearts, but there's, there's, there's going to be some that even in the years, year or year or two to come, we're going to see people shining forth, playing their part in the church, really using their gifting beautifully, but who are right now just completely stuck. Maybe people even in this room, but people who are just so stuck and covered in grime and muck. But there's a calling upon many here, I believe, to, to seek out and search out some people and, and bring them into a place of freedom and, and kind of standing strong on their feet again in God. Does that make sense? I feel like God's, that's for some here. But let's stand together. We're going to pray, and then these guys are going to lead us in a final song. Um, one more thing I should say. If as I was sharing anything about the nations or about the west of Ipswich, where we're feeling God's leading to have a presence there in some way, uh, or just anything that I've said, that you just something's leapt within your spirit, I would love for you to speak to me, one of the other elders. Please speak to us because we'd love to just walk that through with you. You're not committing to anything, okay? We're not going to say, great, right, when, when can you start? No, no, we're going to just walk with you and pray with you. We'd love to talk that through with you. We'd, please come forward in the weeks to come. Speak to us, email us, ring us, whatever. And just say, I feel God's, yeah, I think I'm going to be involved in that. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that we can be confident that you will accomplish all that you have set out to do in the world because you have not withheld from us the very best. Lord, you've, you've sent your one and only son and that he laid down his life, that he was the sacrificial lamb, that on the mountain of the Lord, it was provided for us. 
Lord Jesus, you provided for us the perfect sacrifice that we might know freedom, that we might know deliverance, we might be redeemed and made your people. And today, Lord, even as we've shared some things that are are big, Lord, they're scary in some ways, we trust in you. We trust that you are going to provide, Lord. We, we throw off comfort now, Lord. And we say that we, we don't want to be all about our comfort and our preferences here. We want to be about what you're doing in the world. Multiplying disciples who, who love you, who know you, and know your blessing. We, we want that, Lord, in our town. We want this in our area. We want this for the nation We want this for the world, Lord. Help us to throw off comfort now in light of the fact that the day is here. We throw off comfort. We say, no, 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 I'm not going to live for my own preferences and comfort. I'm living for the one who has redeemed me. And I belong to him now. And I'm heirs of the promises made to Abraham. Help us, I pray, to grow in prayer this term, Lord, that we might call upon you and not let go of you until you bless until you move. I pray that you would stir many in this room to remember that picture of the mud and the treasures in the mud. I pray you'd stir us to to seek you for this and to go after some people this year intentionally to love them well, to see them clean down, to see them shining for you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. And God's people together, we say amen.